Hello everyone, welcome to episode 45 of Health Unchained. Many teenagers, young adults, and even older adults deal with skin issues like acne, dryness, redness, sensitivity, and wrinkles. Oftentimes, they try products or creams to help solve their issues, but it's hard to really know what works without measuring the results. The skincare industry is worth about $112 billion, and demand continues to grow internationally. In today's episode, I speak with Mark Bookman, who is building an Ethereum-based platform to allow people to measure the results of skincare products using artificial intelligence to examine images of the face and provide people with dermatologist-recommended products that fit their needs. I think it's an interesting use case, but the company has yet to release their first mobile apps. They currently have a web app on opu.ai. I really enjoyed my conversation with Mark, and I hope you do too. I also want to thank Brennan Bennett from Blockchain Healthcare Review, who introduced me to Mark. For my interested listeners, you can check out the link in my show notes to listen to episode 27 with Brennan. If you're new to the healthcare blockchain space, you should check out the show notes for a link to a Udemy course for non-technical healthcare professionals. Don't hesitate to sign up. There is real value in understanding blockchain's potential impact in healthcare. Use my special discount promo code DOGUM2019 for a 75% discount off the regular price of the course. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today we have Mark Bookman, founder and CEO of Opu Labs, which is attempting to build a platform to tokenize skincare intelligence. Mark, thanks for joining me and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Ray. It's great to be here. Looking forward to talking with you. Yeah, it's been uh, you know some months now we're uh, preparing for this conversation, so I'm pretty excited to get this going. Excellent. Uh, I think it's best to start a little bit with your background and your experience. And I know you're an entrepreneur, you started a few companies, you're also an investor. Sure. Well, um, going way back, um, after I finished uh, my education, I worked for Sony for about seven years, which was a great experience. And everything I did there was sort of in the internal venture side and new business side of the company. Uh, so pretty much my whole and, and then from there, I, I went and started doing startups. Uh, and so my entire career has been an early stage uh, startup uh, venture things. And uh, so I guess I'm addicted to it. Uh, I love doing it. And uh, you know, so that's what I work on. Excellent. And um, I do know you're actually living in Tokyo. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I've been here since about 2007. Um, I was working prior to Opal Labs. I was working on a mobile search related um, uh, business uh, for pre smartphones, you know, Nokia and Docomo area era of of the industry and uh, everything was over in Asia. You know, I just you looked at the, the map and you, you drew an area around India, 
a circle that goes from India around Japan. Um, and you see two thirds of the mobile phones in this part of the world. And uh, it just dragged me back here. And I had been here earlier in my career too, uh, in the early nineties. So uh, three or four years in the early nineties. And then um, when, with this whole mobile technology boom, you know, it dragged me back over here. So, where were you living when you were in the States? Like, were you in the... So, in Silicon Valley. Silicon yeah. Valley. Very yeah, cool. In the Bay Area. And that's exactly where Opu Labs is based, right? Is that correct? Yeah, the, 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 the headquarters. Yeah, I, I split my time between here and there. And um, um, Opu Labs headquarters is in, in uh, the Bay Area. And that's uh, going forward where the corporate offices uh, will be. How do you like living in Tokyo versus uh, you know, the Silicon Valley? Well, it's funny because when I, I I'm in I'm back home for a while and I get to Japan, it's like oh, it's great to be back here, you know. And then and then it's, it's the opposite when I go back to the when you land in SFO, it's like oh, great to be back, you know. And the yeah. area is awesome, so I like them. I mean, they're very different, you know. Um, Tokyo is uh, you know, it's, it's it's huge when you see when you see the map from you know, the the satellite, you know it's. Or 45 million people in, in, in the Tokyo region, and so um, there's a huge number of people, so it's 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 kind of crowded. But um, but the, there's so many things to do, and it's so efficient. You know, when you're in Japan, you plan things to the minute, right? So if you're trains late a minute, um, you know, they're apologizing profusely, and you think, why are they? It's only one minute late. Why why are, why are they apologizing? But in fact, you know, probably 10 percent of the people on the train uh, are going to miss their next one. Yeah. not get home on time you're going to miss a meeting or something so things just run that way and people get used to that so service level is very high and you, you, you don't tip here service good service is expected in japan so when you're here you get spoiled very badly yeah i've heard it's funny because in boston here if a train is 15 minutes late you know no one cares and no one apologizes to you at all so it's very different uh the culture exactly. here yeah um so opu labs is you know, a skincare, you're in the skincare industry. What drove you into the healthcare, or, you know, dermatology? What drove you to that industry coming from sure. technology? Well, well, in the past, um, previous company I worked on, we had done a lot in, in healthcare also. So this is sort of my second, um, you know, um, engagement with, with healthcare. And so I've always been very interested in this space. It's, I think it's the most important, you know, thing for IT technology to be applied to. And there's still, you know, you think about it, our medical records aren't portable yet. I mean, it's kind of outrageous. You go to a doctor and you have to explain, you know, like your whole medical history to them every time. Um, and uh, doctors will prescribe you medicine that you're not supposed to take um, because they don't have your medical record. I mean, it's ridiculous. So that's something that hopefully, and it's a big, huge problem that I think a lot of people are working on and we need to solve that. But, you know, that, that that's just a, a indication that there's a lot of work to do still in, in healthcare um, and providing tools, information tools to consumers and, and to the doctors so they can provide better service. So I'm very passionate about that problem. And um, as far as skincare goes, um, we were working on mobile advertising um, with my search venture. And we were asking ourselves, okay, what's next? What's coming next after, after search? And what will be the next mobile advertising formats? And this is still uh, before iOS and Android had really come out. Mm-hmm. And I, I put my finger on product advertising and said, you know, I think, I think the, the devices are getting good enough now or product advertising is going to be one of the next big sectors. And it was still at a time when people were saying, no, the screen sizes are too small. No one's going to ever advertise products on mobile phones. 
And we were like, yeah, okay, come on. People said that about websites too in the beginning. No, we're never going to, who's going to put a corporate brochure up on a, on a, on a website? You know, Cor companies are never going to advertise on, on, on PCs. You know, people said that in the beginning, you know, when, when uh, Mozilla was just coming out. And, you know, of course we see everything yeah. goes digital now. So I said, okay, well, let's, you know, it's going to happen. Let's just figure out what kinds of products have the best um, synergy with mobile devices. So we tested a whole bunch of products, and the skincare ads we ran were just off the map compared to everything else. Um, it wasn't even a close second. So we're like, "Wow, what's going on? What's going on with skincare?" And so we started analyzing it, and we saw that well, you know, you know, shop women drive shopping, and they're not using PCs. They're using mobile devices for that. And skincare is probably the most important category. One of the first things um, women spend money on is, is with um, um, skincare products. And so I said, okay, well, let's, let's, let's dive deeper into this. And so at that point, I was still thinking, let's figure out the advertising side of this. Um, I didn't realize I was going to go this deep into it. But the more and more I got into it, the, the more I saw that there was a really big opportunity here and also a really big unsolved problem. And, um, and just started thinking through, you know, what we could do to to make it a better user experience and um, um, and, and and more effective for the advertisers. That's pretty interesting. When you say like uh, when you talk about the internet and how people didn't expect to use any or put any advertisements or product brochures or company brochures on the internet, and you know it wouldn't be used that much. It makes me think about blockchain technology and what people are saying about blockchain and how that's you know never going to be really fully utilized. It's not that great. Um, it's just a glorified database and things like that. Um, exactly. How did it's you exactly hear, the same thing every time. It's how did every you first time hear about? Yeah. How did you first hear about blockchain? And um, yeah, tell me that story. Well, it's interesting. So I forget. I was trying to think uh, before preparing for our, our chat today about um, about when exactly I first heard about Bitcoin. And I can't put I can't put my. It was in the '90s, I'm pretty sure. But the first time I got exposed to blockchain technology was somebody someone sent me some patents that had to do with payment systems, and it was related to block. It was related to blockchain and Bitcoin. And um, asked well, me I mean, Bitcoin story. in the '90s, you said. This is this is definitely in the late '90s um, uh, when these patents were sent to me to take a look at, and that was what got me looking at Bitcoin. Yeah, it, I'm, that's interesting. Did it say the word Bitcoin on it? Because that's really it. Probably said something uh, like decentralized yeah. or peer-to-peer -peer, uh, currency or something. I, yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah. It had more to do with the encryption, um, mm -hmm. the encryption uh, technology for the the, uh, the resolution of the transactions. It was more about that side of it. As opposed to the chain, the chain part of it, and um, but but it was basically um, technology that would is I'm I'm sure out there, I'm not sure if these where these patents are uh, today, but but nevertheless then that but then that, that led me to then look at okay what's what's go what's Bitcoin you know so I started looking at that and I thought this is pretty interesting and um, you know, not being as um, you know. Uh, smart as some of these early Bitcoin buyers were, uh, I should have just bought some right then. Yeah, but uh, well, okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on this. You know, well, I you had like over see. ten years to to think about it, right? <laughs> so if you if you heard about it in the early uh, late nineties, the, the, and then these early these early these early payment systems, yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I guess I forget the exact date of when this was. Mm -hmm. um, it might have been a little later. Um, 
I couldn't pinpoint my finger on exactly when it was, but it was definitely the, it was it was some technology that was um, behind you know under, underlying some of the transactional stuff in mm-hmm. Bitcoin, um, and um, but uh, yeah, like I said, so that that got me to put Bitcoin on the radar and kept looking at it and um, didn't buy didn't buy in should have but uh, didn't buy but I thought it was interesting kept kept my eye on it that was sort of my first exposure to it. And then when I, I got more involved in it um, was when I learned about Ripple. Uh, I'm actually, you know, I know some people think it's not really decentralized and criticize Ripple. I think it's really great, um, uh, uh, Ripple. And so that, that was something I actually did dive into. Um, could have been earlier, but it was still pretty early when I did. And, um, you know, that, that's what dragged me into it um, uh, more, more, more um, actively. Interesting. So let's talk about a little bit about the company, Opu Labs, overall. So I, you know, noticed that, or um, you know, online, I saw that it was named to CIO Applications Top 50 Healthcare Solutions for Providers in 2019. So congratulations yeah. on that. You Thank also, you. Appreciate that. You uh, also participated in a startup Grand Slam at the World AI Show in Singapore. And you took home $10,000, so another uh, accomplishment there. So congratulations. Tell I me appreciate a little bit that. more about the vision for Opu Labs and why you started it. Sure. Well, um the, the actual consumer problem we identified was um, for sort of a strange phenomena with um, these ad campaigns with skincare products. And what we saw was when you ran an ad campaign, um, there was a cluster of people who would buy that day. They'd see the ad and then within 24 hours they'd buy or, you know, within X hours they'd buy. Um, and then it would taper off significantly in day two. But then like a week or 10 days later, just about the same number of people that bought the first day were coming back and buying again. Hmm. So it was like seven to 10 days later. And, and so we saw this in one of the campaigns and, and, but then we kept seeing it, same pattern. We're like, what's going on here? Why is there this big group coming back like seven to 10 days later and buying again? Um, and as we dug into it and we, we started looking at calls that were coming to the call center, we, we were, Getting inquiries such as, hey, we saw your ad. It looks really good. Could you just tell me what to buy? Because I have no idea. <laughs> and um, and then this pattern was repeating. So we, what we, we, we saw was that maybe like a third of the, the consumers out there were really struggling to figure out, shh, shh, oh, hey, this looks really good, but is it really right for me? And, and spending a lot of time and effort because the, the products that are effective, they're not cheap. And especially if you're in a certain income level, you're going to drop a lot of money on these products. And if they're, if they don't work, they cause allergic reactions, um, or they're, they're fake, which there's a lot of that out there in the world. Um, you're going to waste your money and be unhappy. So people are very careful. And so a good chunk, about a third of the users are, um, uh, researching intensively and, dissonant about making a purchase. So that was one thing. <clears throat> the other thing is we, as we did surveys and we were talking to people and you look at the industry out there, you see that um, about 80% of the consumers were making their decisions based on social media and, and, and their friends because your friends or, or friends or family members because of the same problem that they don't trust the ads out there. They're not sure if they can rely on the, the, ad, the, the marketing literature. So they ask their friends and they wind up buying something then based on that. So when you talk to doctors about this, what they'll say is, yeah, this is this. They're usually making the problem worse. So by the time they come to see us, 
um, you know, we have to unravel what, what, what this product has done to them or um, it's, it's not effective and, and, and so therefore we need to get them off of that and put them on something else, which then is again more money. So I thought to myself, okay, so what, what's the problem here? What, 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 what can we do to provide the right data to the consumer where the question of will this work for me can be answered? Um, and in order to do that, is it working or not? Does the product work or not? You need to measure um, uh, some, 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 something. Uh, the, the, there's an improvement or there's not an improvement. It's getting worse, it's getting better. <clears throat> and most of these issues are visible, very visible. So I started looking into sensor technology. Um, we actually test marketed a sensor that attached to the smartphone to see if the consumers would like it. And what kind of sensor is this? Like a it was a sensor that you plug into your smartphone. It would measure um, oiliness and dryness of your skin. Oh, or you just touch it on the skin. You just touch it on the skin, exactly. <clears throat> uh, very low demand for this. No one want you know, especially um, in this segment of the market, people weren't interested in buying um, any additional hardware that would attach to your, your phone. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, it has to be something that works with the phone itself. And just around the time we started working on this, uh, there was you know, quite a, a big increase in uh, resolution of the cameras on the smartphones. And I thought to myself, yeah, I think the resolutions are good enough for us to measure uh, change in skin condition, at least the change. Uh, may not be um, you know, as good as what you get if you go into a doctor's office and have an actual device um, that's uh, you know measuring physical conditions, but it's going to tell us is this product effective to reduce acne, to to get rid of the redness, to uh, uh, remove the wrinkles, or to reverse the wrinkles. <clears throat> and um, uh, you know we did a bunch of tests and uh, various different technologies, and um, in fact um, we saw that with some uh, machine learning and uh, neural network technology that we, we we tested that it was actually really effective and good enough. And so once I had that, then I started to build the rest of the solution around this. But that's the core of this is that um, we can provide assistance um, to the consumer to measure changes in the face and later other parts of the skin. Um, because, you know, when someone looks in the mirror and sees their face, they can see some things. They're going to probably identify a few mm -hmm. things on their face, uh, but they're not going to do an extensive one hour scan of their entire face. Um, right. We're finding consumers that are using uh, the current app right now are telling us that, oh, you know, I noticed stuff that I had never noticed before. Um, the app is picking up things that I never noticed before. Right, and to be honest, uh, you know, myself, I don't know too much about skincare or skincare products, but I do know it's the largest organ of the human body, so it's really important to take care of it and make sure that if there is anything on the, you know, any moles or anything that's growing, you want to make sure, you know, you measure it and it's not something that's getting worse, so. Um, that's right, that's, and, and it's exactly right. Um, uh, in terms of the skin, the role the skin plays, and people who have skincare problems that are that are hard to solve, they really they really suffer, you know, mm -hmm. from from that. So, um, you know, there's the goal of making what you have, which is good, better, and um, people want to be younger and then change their skin tone. And there's all sorts of objectives, but a lot of people that are just I just need to find the right solution for me, so I'm not wasting my money, um, and um, I can be happy, you know, with my with my condition. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about the team uh, and how you found the you know co-founding members and who currently is helping you build this platform? Sure. Well, one of the key guys um, who I started this with, and I probably wouldn't have started it without him, is Richard Reed, our COO, 
who um, has been in a couple ventures with me, and he was part of the skincare marketing um, effort that we were doing. And actually, Richard's had a passion about skincare himself uh, for many years, and um, has always been thinking about doing something in the space. So I think he uh, was one of the instigators here, who uh, you know was part of um, our effort to go deeper into this area. Um, so he's been really key and um, contributed tre- tremendously. He's done all the team recruiting. Um, has been how big is the team now? We have um, a core team of about seven to ten people who are working um, full time, and mm-hmm. then we have um, about. Be very surprised to hear this, but we literally have about forty people who are working part time on this. And wow. um, so we built a very large co-founder team um, at Opal Labs. People who have who share our passion in this and who are investing their time um, in the effort. Um, and um, some of those members have made you know really significant contributions. Um, uh, so at this stage. You know, there's been um, the funding that uh, myself and some other uh, uh, private investors have done, as well as our team to, to get to the stage. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about the actual product in the app. So at the moment, I believe you have a web app that's functional, um, but I think that you're still currently working on the iOS and Android app. Is that right? That's correct. We're, getting, we're pretty far along. Um, the Android's are a few weeks or a month or so ahead of the iOS version. Um, but we're, 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 we're getting close to, you know, talking about submitting it to the app source for approval and uh, getting it on the market. Yeah, it takes, uh, getting apps online could take some time. I actually listened to an episode of Future Tech Podcast and you were on mm-hmm. it. It was published last year, actually, and you were also saying that you're still in development of the mobile app. So it's been a, it's been a year. It's still ongoing, it seems. It's been a year, and I think that the main thing that um, drove the timing of this is that we decided to, to spend so much time on the blockchain part. Um, that that was, I think, a, a good three quarters of distraction <laughs> from the core app was that we decided to build up a coin and uh, do the blockchain. And so that distracted uh, James James Hodgman, our, our CTO, uh, from you know working more on uh, you know some of the core functionality that would support the apps. But we've been working on it the whole time, though. Um, so we've been putting a lot of effort into it. And we really want, you know, it's very important that's that the, the web app and everything we've done with blockchain, we've done for the community, for the AI community, for the blockchain community, uh, for people that like this kind of stuff, want to experiment. Um, but when the apps come out, it's for the skincare consumer who doesn't care about blockchain and doesn't care about AI technology. They just want something that's useful. So we, we, you know, we want it to be good when we release it. Understood. And I believe you're also using Ethereum as your core blockchain protocol. That's right. So OpaCoin is running on Ethereum and um, it's um, it's an ERC-20 token. Got it. And you had an ICO um, last year, right? That's, that's right. And that's generated right. $2 million? Yes, $2 million in token sales. And um, we, uh, I think our timing was perfectly... Uh, off in terms of when we, we got on the market because if you look later on I saw probably uh, late last year or early this year ICO Bench had uh, shown month by month all the sales um, that went out in different categories and we, we had everything we, in December of 2017 I decided to do this and we said okay let's do it <laughs> and um, um, I, I can tell you that story of how this actually came about too in a moment but um, let's do it and so we actually did some fundamental, you know, fundamental preparation, right? The white paper, research exactly what we're going to do, all the technologies, all the legal issues, 
um, actually build it, security audit, etc. So from December 2017, we were ready, pretty much ready to go in August of 2018. Um, uh, it was when everything was ready. And, and, and yeah. if you look at that, that basically July was the last month that there were significant sales, and then August is when it had completely tanked. You know, <laughs> in terms of the market going. Yeah. So, but but we followed through on it through December and um, and got somewhere on it, and um, and so the first phase is done. Uh, but now we're you know really in the second phase now of uh, uh, getting the token live on our platform, and then now building services around it, and then slowly we'll release the token into the market, um, um, and, and sort of phase three. So uh, being very very doing this in a very step by step approach. Right. Let's yeah. Let's get into the Opal coin a little bit later. I kind of want to you know let the audience understand what the user experience is actually like sure. when you okay. create a Great. platform or create a profile on your account uh, which i actually did i uh, just recently opened up a account using the opu ai login on the web and you know it was kind of cool it allowed you to you know select what kind of issues you have how oily is your skin for instance from zero to ten so you got to like create this profile and then you can upload an image of your skin so i didn't actually go through the whole process but can you take me step by step? If I did take a picture of my skin and then I uploaded it, apparently it goes through an AI analytics kind of machine or neural network. Neural network. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. And I'll just um, um, explain that and also mention that. But when you talk, when we go back and talk about it, coin later, it is part of the user experience because we we were not a. We, this is not a project where it was a blockchain. Um, you know, smart contract looking for a solution. This was, we had a purpose, which is our rewards program, which comes right into the very, very front end of this um, user experience and decided to deploy it on the blockchain. So, but in terms of you know, what you described is exactly right. So the idea is you, you uh, create an account and we give you a free scan and a, and a free report on your skin condition using um, a neural network technology and some other things we've built. Um, and it gives you your um, level of acne, hyperpigmentation, wrinkles, and redness. It also gives you very, very detailed analysis of your skin tone. So it'll show your average skin tone and then a map. It, it builds a map that shows the entire set of tones that are on your face. So when you see this skin tone map, if you're interested in trying to adjust or manage your skin tone, you'll be able to see exactly like the complete um, um, universe of all the tones in, in your in your face. So this is just the face, then. So it's not like a, a part of the other part of the skin. It's the face. That's not right now. Not right now. Okay. Yeah. Later on, we'll do, we'll have other parts I of the see. body. Okay. But you, first things first is with the face. Yeah. And um, and so from there, then there's also um, a map um, which shows you the locations that the um, that Opu the Opu um, analysis engine believes that you have. Where's your acne? Where's your where are the wrinkles? And, um, and then we'll show you um, what you would look like if you reduce those, those issues and do a treatment program, um, um, different levels of that. So you can see here's the, my existing photo, and then here's what I look like uh, with a reduction program oh, wow. um, if I remove, if eliminate those issues. Are you, using data, are you using research data from different academic universities or different projects? Where is the data coming from that is you know, functioning or allowing you to create this neural network? No, so this this is this is not a data driven approach. There are some people doing that. We we haven't been that impressed with the data driven approaches, but I'm you know I'm, some of them may be good down the road. This is a doctor dermatologist trained um, engine. So you train this engine 
with dermatologists. Uh, uh, there's still data there, uh, though, right? So you still have yeah, to... there's yeah, there's data there, but it's image data that uh, the dermatologists have annotated, and um, we feed to the engine. So the engine learns from doctors. So where does the data come from? Like, where does the existing data come from in order to extrapolate the data that you're showing? To your... Exactly. So there's 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 some intrinsic data that that was built into the engine originally, but it's it's a but all the data, their images that the doctors have um, annotated and then train the engine to learn what's acne, what's what is a wrinkle, what is redness, um, and we're now ex extending that. We've collected about thirty thousand images from the initial campaign here, hmm. and our doctors. We have a team of doctors that are then working on. Um, further training the engine. So it's already at a pretty decent level where the, the changes, my original goal of measuring change, um, I think is very accurate. So if you reduce your acne, our engine's gonna pick that up correctly. Um, and so we're training to get smarter and smarter. So you know, eventually OPU is gonna, if we take a look at uh, an OPU analysis and compare it to a doctor's analysis, they should, they should be roughly the same. We're not quite there yet, um, but we're working on getting there. And so you should get smarter smarter about that down the road. So you've had 30,000 people already submit their photos, and now you're using that as part of the engine. We're now, we have, more, we have more, more data than we can use right now to now uh, train the engine, yes. Wow, okay. Uh, that's, that's impressive then. Um, how is that, where is the data all stored? Where is the, you know, tell me about your technology stack a little bit. Sure. Well, I mean, yeah, for security reasons, and because we know there's so many bad actors out there, yeah, or I'm not going to talk about too much about where the data is and what we do with it, other than to say that that's one of the other good things about the blockchain um, effort we did, which is all the security we had to put in place for this is beneficial, not just for the financial data, but also for this, this information, too. So we, you know, we're, it's a cloud platform. Um, we have multiple cloud providers that we're working with. And um, um, uh, we uh, have the data behind, you know, multiple levels of security, you know, so that uh, only, not only, not only for the outside world um, in terms of their access, but also um, it's important with your team too, is that you have to limit access to this information. So um, currently, right now, um, HIPAA compliance is something we're working on, and we're, ba we're very, I mean, uh, the the goals of HIPAA compliance and and, and sort of the key the key aspects of it. Um, we have in place. Uh, there's certain things at the end of the day you need to uh, have, you know, fully running to be, you know, to be able to say yes, we are HIPAA compliant. And since we haven't launched the commercial service in the states yet with the doctors, um, you know, we're not quite there yet, but we will be. So the goal is to be HIPAA compliant and um, uh, and, and have the data protected. Got it. Have you thought about using some sort of like? Um, um you know, IPFS, or I think I saw on your white paper that you're utilizing Swarm, Ethereum Swarm. And yeah, it's, part, it's still in the R&D phase. We're looking at it. Um, okay. Haven't fully committed. If Swarm or something like Swarm will be used. Um, and, yeah, going forward, um, it's very important here. One of the promises to the user is the following, is that we are not going to use your data without your permission. Mm -hmm. And whenever we use your data, um, if we're rewarded, you will be rewarded. So uh, any commercial use of this data um, the, of, the, of that person's um, actual personal information um, is going to be shared with them. So from day one, uh, there's no, there's no um, you know, inadvertent 
assignment of the rights to this data to us um, that you see with all the other social networks out there um, is from we know this information is very personal mm -hmm. and people want to protect it so if someone wants to post something online and show their before and after photos great that's their prerogative if someone wants to be completely private with this you know if they take a photo of themselves um, at home um, and, they, and they don't want anyone to see it no one no one will and uh, the only thing we do is we give a reward of opus when people sign up and our goal is to make opus smarter and better and uh, we have a team of doctors who will be looking at the images but that's it and um, no, no one else is going to touch the data now if a brand wants to get access to that data or um, one of our users wants to share it with a uh, skincare clinic that's going to be something that they have to do they have to make that decision um, and if uh, brands want to say okay i want to know everyone who's 25 years old and has acne in this country i, I, I want to see the, the tracking information and the data um, that's been submitted we can then go to our users and say hey do you want to participate in this research program and then um, anyone who says yes can then share the data and get a reward for it so so the the protection of the data and then the ability of the consumer to control it is uh uh, you know, was the idea from the very beginning here. And that's really important, especially in this day and age. Uh, I don't know if you heard about the the new app. It's called FaceApp. I don't know. Actually, it's not very new. It's been around for a while, but um, very recently got some popularity. You know, you can use it to make yourself look older. So people thought it was, you know, really fun and cool. Kind of reminds me of what you're doing where you can use this technology to actually show your face after you've used a certain product. So how will you look after you've used a certain type of face cream or something sure um, and, but, and you know yeah yeah absolutely. there was an issue where people got scared because they thought the russians or someone was like <laughs> taking their information or their facial surveillance information and then um doing whatever with it but it's important yeah, to well, have that yeah, yeah I, we're obviously tracking that app uh, pretty pretty carefully ourselves because we, we find it very interesting and you know so in some sense if people want to create a version of themselves that they're not Mm -hmm. um, so a simulation, let's say, or a fantasy, a fantasy version of yourself, right? Um, uh, that's that's there are a lot of apps to this kind of thing. So we're 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 all about showing the real the real the real me, the real the real person, and uh, uh, showing what you can be, you know, and um, you know it's in your control. And so you know, but a lot of the things that um, they're doing uh, in terms of the marketing is very interesting. Um, yeah, in terms of Russia, uh, we have a lot of users that sign up in Russia, and it's a very big skincare market. So, um, as far as Russia goes, you know, it's one of the countries that we're we're very interested in going forward. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. The following announcement isn't really related to healthcare, but it is an important step towards bringing awareness about blockchain's capabilities to the masses. The National Basketball Association and Dapper Labs, the company responsible for CryptoKitties, have teamed up to announce the launch of a digital platform for blockchain-based collectibles and an online game called NBA Top Shot. Fans will be able to collect, manage, and engage with the NBA in a totally new way by building rosters and purchasing specific player moves that can be used for online games or tournaments. The platform is set to launch this fall season with the full game going live early 2020. Dapper Labs says they are working directly with the Players Union, the National Basketball Players Association, to ensure players benefit from the experience.
you could find a link to the article and NBA Top Shot in the show notes. And now back to the episode with Mark Bookman from Opu Labs. And what's your target like market population? Like who is using this? You said um, you know younger women, older women. Well, right now we have a lot. If you look at the skincare market, um, and you say you know ninety five percent of the women are in it, and maybe you know fifteen twenty percent of the men, something like that, probably. Um, we actually, because of the fact that we've been promoting this so far as a uh, technology, um, you know, uh, prototype, um, we have a lot more men than women. Um, but we but, but we still have quite a large number of women that have signed up. You know, tens of thousands so far. Um, but so very great, great audience of, of men uh, who. Um, but majority women, pro- you're saying? No, right now we have a majority, majority. of men. Oh. Right. As of today, I think that's going to change. But as of today, because we've been promoting it more as a technology platform, mm-hmm. the majority is men. But if you look at other crypto projects out there, um, something like five to eight percent women, we're way, we're way above this. You know, we have oh. um, you know much, much larger number of women. Um, so we have a very good a female following, um, but also a lot of men. So from that point of view, we plan to leverage this. But uh, countrywide, countrywide, we have uh, users all over the world. It really was one of the big surprises here that, you know, it's like two, it's over 200 country codes in our database. Now, there are like 190 UN countries, 193 or 96 UN countries. So I was wondering, how do we have 230 country codes in there? But people are literally from the other lot of territories and, and, and you know, um, mm-hmm. um, uh, that have country codes. So, but people from everywhere literally every country. Um, and How did you get that kind of reach? Like, what did you do? What was your marketing strategy? We we promoted OpaCoin on a few sites and it literally just went viral from there. And um, we haven't spent any money on marketing and uh, user acquisition. Everyone's just come to us. And so it came in very quickly. My goal was to get <clears throat> a few thousand images and some feedback. That was literally my goal. And we blew that away because we have more data than we can use. And we had a lot more people sign up than I expected. Um, and so for now, user acquisition is something that just we don't need to do. We sort of said, okay, we're good. We're good right now. Let's get the platform complete and the products out. We're going to go back to user acquisition again um, later. Um, but, but uh, you know, mostly I'd say 20 to 30-year-old or you know, early 20s to early 30s is our um, main age group. Acne is the biggest problem. Um, and um, uh, Asia uh, is where you know, I think the biggest cluster, Vietnam, um, Korea, Japan, uh, India. We have a lot of users, but we also have a bunch of people in uh, Russia and Brazil and in the States. The U.S. is number two in terms of our uh, countries. So it's really everywhere. And, if you and think they're about all, it makes sense. They're all using it on the, on the web, right, so far? Correct. Uh, I had a question. So you said that you have more data than you can use. Can you explain that a bit? Because that just I, I just don't understand. Yeah. Well, like I mentioned before, so thirty thousand images that we now need to go and uh, uh, use to oh, train. because you're and manually, you have to have dermatologists manually look at them. I see. Okay, that makes correct. sense now. Correct. Got it. Very interesting. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the Opu Coin and some of the incentive mechanisms you have in place and. You know, how do you get people to want Opal coins? What can they do with them when they have them? How often can they collect them? You know, tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So we had planned uh, from the very beginning because we knew that the skincare market was um, uh, skincare consumers were in, into rewards and 
and um, earning things and getting discounts on products and you know discounts discounting products is a big way of marketing in this industry so uh, and we also knew we were going to be collecting data and that we didn't want to just um, ask for the data for free and then go and you know use it without uh, you know under some kind of you know 25 page user license agreement that people click and don't even know what it says so that wasn't what we wanted to do so we need a rewards program we're going to be collecting data we want to make it transparent and, and we need we need to have this uh, token uh, some type of point system so um, james hodgman cto said to me one day hey you know we really need to put um, our rewards program on the blockchain and um, at that point i'd already been involved with ripple and you know some of the early stuff that we spoke about a while ago and um the my first reaction was because i understood what ripple was trying to do in the financial services industry my first reaction was well it sounds like a lot of work um to try to become you know uh, a blockchain platform for some vertical industry uh, but but you know maybe let me let me take a look at it and so at that time um i hadn't really read that much about ethereum and about uh apps on ethereum um, and the smart contract system that uh, that uh, was 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 available there. Um, I've been hearing about it and understood a little bit about what it was, but but um, sort of had a, uh, I think at that point a misperception about what Ethereum was. Um, but then I started digging into it, and after I dug into it uh, for a few days, I went from maybe to there's we have to do this. There's mm-hmm. there's actually no no question that we're we're doing this, uh, especially for the never, long term, right? Yeah, it was just a no-brainer that, that if, if you're going to do a reward system that you want to have any level of sophistication, make it transferable and exchangeable and have you know, triggers and that kind of stuff built in, you're going to do it on a blockchain and you know do it um, uh, uh, in some way that's programmable and um, so um, uh, scalable. And so it was, it was like, okay, this is, this is awesome. We're going to, we're going to, we're, gonna, we're definitely going to do an Ethereum um, DApp. We looked at a couple others too. Um, uh, but um, um, this was, this was, I, I thought made the most sense. So OpenCoin, um, you know, we, we pretty much developed it exactly to what we, we spec'd out in the white paper for the first phase, which is simple exchangeable token. And when the users first sign up for the account, they share an image, they fill out their skincare profile. We reward them. If they participate in research, we reward them. Um, if they post on social media um, or introduce their friends, do a referral, we reward them. You know, those are the things that we do right now. And then what they can do with it today is they can come to our marketplace where we actually have products available already and get a discount. And, and at this point, that's all, all we enable. But we're so, planning to obviously expand that greatly in terms of, of the things that you can do with it. So where are the coins coming from or how are they minted or is there a limited supply? What makes them valuable? So, yes, there's a limited supply. So there's a fixed supply. The, the smart contracts published and uh, it's pretty much at this point, um, you know, has run out um, in terms of the minting. So no more, no more OPUs can be minted. Okay. Um, and we've uh, we've got about a 90 million or so that have been earned by rewards holders, who I know a lot of them out there who may be listening here are dying to do some use their token or trade it or sell it or whatever they may want to do with it. And um, what we're telling everyone is to be patient because if you look at a lot of the projects that rushed out onto exchanges early, um, there's no way to protect against you know the the sell off that will happen if Volatility, you just have a bunch right. of if, if people are just going to uh, uh, want to uh, earn their tokens and sell them and not hold them for value, 
you know, basically there's no way for any project to sustain that and, and, and people how aren't sustaining it. How much is an OPU worth today in terms of dollars? Two, two, two cents okay. is, the, is the price that we And the total um, number of set. OPU in the supply is? 1.5 billion total um, okay. is the supply. And um, 90 million um, has been issued in rewards, as I said. And it's not, we have a, on our, if you go to charts.opucoin.io, you can see all the all the details of exactly, um, you know, where the tokens have been used so far, what the, what the, what the breakdown is. I see. Anything else we should kind of talk about in terms of the coin and what it can do? And um, I know there's like a marketplace on your website. I wasn't able to really get into it too much, but um, I don't know if you want to mention that at all. Yeah, sure. So the marketplace is available now. We have a, about 1,400 products there from partners that you can purchase. Um, we're going to be releasing soon. Uh, that's like an international marketplace that we we first have built the first proto- we built the first prototype for OpaCoin um, redemption, um, and um, so it's all up and running. And we have people buying tokens there, um, and, and people can redeem um, their tokens for products. Uh, we're going to be launching a marketplace, a local marketplace in Thailand next. Um, we're going to be doing this country by country because skincare products are regulated. And each country, you know, for example, if you have product X from brand Y in country Z, when you go to the country to a different country, um, it's going to be a different product, actually. Um, uh, sometimes it can be imported by the users directly, but if it's going to be marketed locally, it's usually going to have a different um, you know, SKU number, uh, product ID and, um, uh, and essentially it's a different product. It may have different ingredients. You may, you don't know. Uh, but if they've been approved for marketing in the local country, you have to assume it's a different product. So we'll be setting up these marketplaces country by country. Um, and uh, we've got uh, 30 brands already in Thailand that have uh, committed uh, to to launch with us. Um, and any so this will be our... Are uh, like internationally recognized or any partners that you yeah. want to mention that so, so people I can't mention, uh, I can't mention any right now because we're uh, getting everything prepared with them and when we sure. announce it we'll announce all of them sure. um, but, um, uh, but but a bunch of really good brands and some excellent products so these are brands who have very our team has recruited brands with really effective products that we believe work and then these brands are willing to have their products um, you know examined by Opu basically mm-hmm. and prove that they work um, so, um, you know, some really, really good products. And so brands will be offering, um, um, engagements, um, with, uh, with their products where people will be able to earn coins and then there'll be additional discounts and offers for special prices on products or maybe samples that people will be able to get and, and use their open coin to get, get, um, some additional benefits or services, from the companies, um, so there'll be a lot, a lot of other things that people will be able to do with the coin. Sounds like uh, you know your business model is heavy on marketing and being able to target specific groups of people that you know might be benefit or that might benefit from a specific type of skincare product. Is that what is your business model? Would you say exactly? Um, we absolutely will be doing the marketing on the consumer side um, based on concerns. So acne. People have concerns about acne. Our goal is to help them solve that problem. So what we want to do is we want to talk to um, someone with acne as a smartphone user 
and let's say is very amenable to using like a diet dieting app or um, an exercise app, or maybe they have an app that they've used to consult with doctors. They, they understand that the smartphone can be very, very useful to them to, to manage their skincare, uh, or excuse me, their personal care issues. And so those, those, that will be the ideal consumer for us. And um, um, the business model is we give free scans. You'll be able to get these, this analysis for free using OPU, track your um, conditions over time. So uh, you, you take photos um, every day or every couple of days or um, morning, evening, for example, and then you'll be able to um, use OPU to track to say, okay, well, how was I doing three days ago? And you'll be able to compare very easily, um, you know, the before and after photos. Uh, from there, then we offer products and, and services. Uh, this quarter, we're, we're implementing our community and chat functionality so that doctors will be there. And so if you've done the open analysis, you've done a little bit of research on the products now, but you still have questions, you'll be able to, with one tap, then go and uh, talk to a doctor um, or a consultant online. Um, so those will be some of the commercial services that we offer um, and, and sort of where we make our money. I'm sure you've done some testing with these providers. What's their feedback like? Dermatologists, what are they saying? Dermis, we have, there are a lot of dermatologists who, especially if they've just established a new practice, um, they're just coming out of medical school, um, who are very interested in building a name for themselves online and um, want to be able to uh, get additional income or uh, have X percentage of their um, services provided uh, via uh, online applications. Um, so very positive. Um, uh, I think there, we have, we've spoken to quite a number of, of dermatologists in several countries. And so they're all waiting for the app now. And uh, when we get the app out, that's when um, I think you'll start to see, um, you know, a bunch of uh, excellent consultants appear, you know, in the OPU uh, app. What is uh, the OPU Connect and what's the function and purpose of that? So we want brands to be able to connect with consumers and have the issues that their products um, address. And so we this is that the, service we just talked about. Exactly. Okay. And so we want brands to be able to do surveys. So for example, um, it could be a product development phase. A brand wants to connect with um, 500 consumers in Asia that have acne um, and, and are income level X, you know, X, X to Y. Um, and they want to um, give um, an early sample of the product out and have it tested and do a survey. So we'll, we'll provide that capability to the brands, or it could be the product's already done, the packaging is, is ready to go, but now they want testimonials. So let's give um, the users um, um, some product and get testimonials. Another thing will be is once the product's on the market, um, they want to share data about the efficacy of the product and use that in their marketing um, to say, hey, you know, this was tested on OPU and um, it was an X percent reduction over this amount of time with these, with these users. Um, those are some of the things that the brands will be able to do then, um, engaging the OPA community. So, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, the product, the uses of the coin, and I kind of want to understand what you think are the biggest barriers to adoption for blockchain technology in general, and also in healthcare. So, well, Just taking a step back, you know, taking a step back. Yeah. Well, I think, as I mentioned um, in the beginning, um, the fact that there's not uh, a viable, portable medical record solution out there in the world today is really a shame. 
I think that's the biggest thing that's, that's got to be solved in healthcare space is that when you walk into a doctor anywhere in the world, um, you put up a QR code, doctor scans it, and now the doctor can see your, your whole medical history. I mean, <laughs> this, the, the, all the technologies out there is just uh, just it's so slow um, to, to, to um, move in the space that um, it's, it's taking time. But we got it. Everyone's got to get together and make that happen. Is it is it better in Japan? I'm just curious because here in the states, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. Um, can't say whether it's better or worse um, from this point of view in Japan. I guess you could say it's about the same. Okay. <laughs> uh, you, you still, you know, you go to if you you go to a doctor who you haven't seen before, you gotta, you know, go through right the whole thing else. with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're seeing the same doc, if you've gone to the same doctor for the last ten years. Great, you're in good shape because the doctor has all your info. But if you travel, if you have, you go to different doctors, you want to see different specialists. Um, you know, we all have the same problem. So that's that's one. Um, then I think that um, you know we're now just moving into the phase now for teledermatology really to happen with the apps, um, security and communication capabilities, uh, scanning capabilities. Um, it's pretty exciting. So I think there's. There's um, opportunity here all over the place, um, you know, for different vertical applications to, to come into play. And there's already a bunch of players that are trying to solve the sort of the general telederm, you know, um, tele, excuse me, tele, telemedicine um, um, problem. So we're, we're hoping to partner with a lot of those companies um, going forward. So those, I think, are the big issues. I see. Um you know, when we think about blockchain, how can blockchain actually improve data exchange efficiency? If we have to ask for permission, the user has to move data. Um, if we have to ask people to fill out forms and do a lot of um, tedious steps, it just slows everything down and, and, and your adoption rates can be very, very low. But if we can educate the consumer <clears throat> up front, here are your preferences here are the things you can opt into and here are the things you can opt out of. And here's the business model. And here's, here's what it's in it for you. If we can set all those things up and then use smart contracts to automate this process. So if a brand wants to get access to data, um, all they need to do is specify what, what that data is. We don't have to talk to anyone again. It just, you can let the smart contracts resolve it and everyone can be rewarded automatically. Hmm. So that's one of the things that we want to do. Um, I think that can speed up the process. Um, sure, you could do this manually without blockchain, um, but the whole idea is, is that the blockchain is something that the user can then have a third-party reference source to show that, in fact, you know, what I asked for, actually I got, mm-hmm. and it happened in the way I said it should, um, and it's full transparency for everyone because there's there's this third-party um, um, record that's being generated out there. So. It just adds to the, the, the level of um, trust that everyone can have in, in the system um, that there is um, you know, some transparency um, around the use of the data and the rewards that are being given. So what do you see as the regulatory challenges and potentially the opportunities? And this is coming both from the, the healthcare side as well as the financial side of things because you're you know, kind of acting in both in, with this product or company. Sure. Well, on the healthcare side, and the, well, really, it's the privacy side, <clears throat> for the most part. Um, you know, the Europeans have set the standard for um, you know what we should do in the treatment of private data. Uh, I have to say that 
we were already on that spec of what the European communities asked for, even before it was it came out. I mean, this was our goal. We want to put the user in control of the data. And um, if the user says, delete it, delete it. If uh, the user doesn't want to use it, it won't be. Um, so I, I was actually happy. A lot of companies I know have been struggling um, with, with European standards, but I'm, I embrace it. I mean, this is, Opu Labs is pretty much on that. That's what Opu Labs wants to deliver. And we want to deliver that worldwide. So even in countries where it's really poor privacy laws, there are none, um, we're still going to deliver at that standard. Um, um, and so a lot of people are chatting in Facebook or in line or in um, other uh, at WeChat and sharing medical data. So the doctor shouldn't be doing this in the first place. Um, and the patients sh certainly shouldn't be doing it either. So what we want to do is provide a way, at least for this dermatology-related data, that we can organize it, share it in a secure way, and it's up to those standards. Um, so that's on the, the privacy and, let's say, the healthcare regulation side. Uh, we, don't, we don't deal with prescription meds. Um, okay. And when we, connect a doctor, when we connect a doctor to a consumer, any medical um, advice or prescriptions they give is between the doctor and the patient. We're we're just a communication channel, basically. We don't we we don't we don't make any recommendations. As a matter of fact, so we we connect people to options and they make the choice. Um, and OPA doesn't sell products, and we, we don't we don't promote products. It's all data driven, and um, um, especially with what the doctors will advise on, we're out of the loop on that. So so. That should be um, fine for the healthcare regulations around the world. Um, as far as blockchain regulations go, you know, we you can, we could spend the, our whole session here on that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, high level. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm hoping that the governments get aligned um, mm. and 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 become more like Singapore. You know, if we talk about an enlightened approach to regulation, it's Singapore. Um, Japan has taken a stab at being enlightened, but I think that the, the barriers for entry are so high that no one really can do it um, um, because they've, uh, Japan's decided to regulate exchanges and make everyone go through exchanges. So it's... Well, they had Mt. Gox, from, so that's... Uh, well, that was right. before the regulations came here. Japan, right, right. So that's, now, that's probably one of the reasons why they're heavy on regulation, so that doesn't... something that doesn't Well, Japan's happen. had a bunch of things besides that. Yeah, I mean, there's been a true. bunch of hacks that have happened. People yeah, lost money, right. so people aren't happy about it. <laughs> I mean, the Japanese approach to regulate exchanges and making you go through an exchange for a token sale is is an approach, and but it's very expensive. And so, you know, there are great entrepreneurs who let's say have amazing ideas, but not the huge amount of money and legal team, they're stuck. So they're going to have to go elsewhere. So that's something that the Japanese approach doesn't um, um, help. Um, Singapore though does. Singapore has is, is, is got a system set up where um, you can actually um, under using their regulations market things so that's why a lot of companies are just saying well look these regulations are so burdensome the key things we need to do is make sure um, you know um, AML KYC are done properly that we're transparent about everything we do um, and um, we're issuing the tokens in, in jurisdictions where the basic financial and privacy and um, money laundering issues uh, laws are there but to be honest, you know, a lot of the countries have just created uh, very convoluted uh, rules that I, I just think are, are not appropriate for blockchain. And so they're not helping, and uh, countries with those regulations are definitely going to fall behind um, the technology because 
all the innovations going to take place in Singapore or China, some in Japan a little bit, but, um, you know, Switzerland, Estonia, other places where they have uh, more enlightened rules on this. So I think the regulations at the moment are a huge, um, you know, bottleneck and raising uncertainty in investors' minds. And they really need to catch up fast um, because the technology and the industry is moving at a very fast rate and the regulations aren't. And a lot of it is, you know, square peg and round hole kind of things where companies are being asked to, um, you know, conform to regulations that were made years ago that don't apply to this technology area. So, so it's very frustrating. I think everyone in the industry shares that frustration, would you uh, but consider, we manage it. Would you consider moving the company out of the United States and into a different country with more accommodating regulations? No, 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 no. Okay. Um, I mean, so we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, um, Opal Labs, um, is a Delaware corporation and, um, um, we're, we're, um, we're a U.S. company, and we follow the regulations, period. What it means, though, is that what basically the regulations is you don't want to do any sales of your token in the U.S. Yeah. Um, that's what we decided, is that um, we just don't do token sales in, uh, to, to investors um, in the United States. I think that's the message of the regulations. And um, I know that there are paths to doing it, uh, but those are unrealistic paths for most companies. And so until those regulations are clarified, um, it doesn't make sense to sell um, in the United States, um, just outside of the U.S., under the U.S. regulations. So um, whatever we do in the States, um, we follow the regulations. And, um, uh, but at this stage of the game, it doesn't make sense to do token sales there. Got it. Uh, what's your outlook look like for 2000, the rest of 2019 and beyond? I know that in your white paper you had a few different features or functionalities you wanted to uh, have by 2019 and i think you guys are still working on most of these probably um but what, what what's your take this quarter um the the number one thing that we um, are working on is the doctor consultation the advisor consultation and our chat uh, function so that's that's one thing we um as i mentioned are going to launch our first local marketplace in thailand um with with local brands and uh more services um, for OpenCoin, we're going to be building more um, tools to help um, um, users monitor um, the, you know, their their wallets. And um, um, we we are talking to a number of exchanges about listing OpenCoin, uh, but um, we're doing this in a very very methodical step by step approach. So can't can't say right now when that will be, um, but we are certainly talking to the exchanges about that. Um, improvements on the AI engine um, are, are, are in the works and uh, the Android and the iOS apps, you know, really being the key things that we want to launch here um, uh, over the next few months. So that's a pretty big agenda right there. And so we'll get all that out and, and then you know, take the next steps after that as to what we do um, further. Were there any events or announcements in the healthcare blockchain space that was very unexpected or surprising to you and why? Not, not in the healthcare blockchain space so much. Um, um, you know, there are certain companies that we're in touch with and that we follow, but um, nothing, nothing very big. I mean, something particular you're thinking about there? No, Love to I mean, hear what you're thinking. A general question I kind of asked most of my guests. Oh, uh, sure. To see what the um, perception you know, are. Um, 
the thing I watch the most is the is the roadmap and the updates for Ethereum mm-hmm. that are supposed to be coming. That's the number one thing that um, I'm looking um, at. We're also looking at side chains like Loom um, that we think is very interesting. Um, those are those are some of the key things that we're 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 looking at right now, working on. Uh, but we have big expectations that Ethereum gets these updates out um, and and live. Um, and when they do, I think it's going to be great. Uh, that's the main thing that we we keep our eye on right now. Who would you say is your favorite business person in history or now? A business person. So yeah, you had, you had uh, mentioned. Uh, 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 inventor and uh, oh yeah i mean but it's a a um, broad question so if you have a favorite scientist or researcher i'm happy to hear this as well (laughs) well well sort of my favorite my uh, my favorite you know sort of personality intellectual personality in in history is benjamin franklin okay Uh, started the patent office in the united states and invented so many things in the post office and just such as you know cynical smart you know funny guy right um so that's so he he's my all-time favorite um Business in the business world, you know, there's so many. You know, I mean, you can admire Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, you know, and um, uh, those is two, two, you know, just come to mind right away. Um, but, um, but, but, you know, Ben Franklin is on a hundred dollar bill, so that's a pretty good answer right there. Everybody wants a few of those, right? So, <laughs> yeah. no, but he, you know, I've uh, read several books about Benjamin Franklin and stuff he's written too, and it just it's a very fascinating person. Um, Interesting. I admire him a lot. Yeah. Do you have any recommended reading for the audience or some resources that they can learn more about um, the industry overall or your yeah. product? Yeah. Well, one one book that someone recommended to me recently uh, is, is The Right It. Um, the Right um, It. The Right It. It's written by Alberto Savoia, former Google um, uh, person. And um, it's about trying to find the product fit to um, the market. Okay, and not not just taking blind stabs and having good data. Uh, I'm still reading it, um, but um, it's an excellent book. I'd recommend it for anyone who's doing new ventures and and um, building products. Uh, the right it, excellent book. I'm, I'm in the middle of it, and so uh, uh, I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's hard to get your name out there and finding the right you know product fit, like you're saying. Uh, it's difficult. I noticed actually on Twitter you have uh, over twenty four thousand followers. And you joined last year, which is quite impressive. I'm like at two or like around 200, and I've joined last year too. So tell me, how did you get all those Twitter followers? <laughs> this was this was again the program we did. You um, provide the free tool, give the rewards, and ask people to share it on social social media, mm-hmm. and um, that and that sense. worked. And um, so uh, it, it just went from there. So we're going to continue with that going forward once the apps are up. Um, and um, I think that's been successful. I got to find a way to incentivize my uh, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Mark, I think it's been a really cool conversation here. I think, you know, what you're doing is important and I just would like to give you an opportunity to share anything else you would like with the audience before we end here. Oh, it's been, it's been great dialogue. Um, We've spoken before and um, so I was looking forward to this. Um, I think your podcast is great. Um, and so I'm excited to have ours out there. You know, things are changing very rapidly. And um, you know, at this AI show, there were so many interesting technologies. It's really hard to see where things are going. But with, with the data that's available um, out there, we can really start to solve some big problems. And I think that's, we're on one of them. 
Um, and um, but but at the same time, there's a pushback now and uh, from the consumers. Um, on, hey, you can't use my data like this without without getting my permission. So I think we've understood this from the very beginning. Um, that's really the big picture here, which is yes, AI, big data, leverages the consumer's data, but you've got to do it in a way which is transparent and uh, and that the consumers get something out of it, not just a, a free tool. And um, there's got to be more to it than that. And so for, for this skincare and the dermatology space, you know, that's what we're targeting. And um, yeah, anyone um, wants to try uh, the application, just go to opu.ai and you can um, you know, see the, the current uh, version that's uh, there now. And soon we'll have the Android and iOS apps available and be off to the races on the consumer side. Hey, all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.